When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he answers with the Shema. It's the name for the greatest commandment, Hear, O Israel, Shema meaning hear. And the Israelites knew that this was the most important commandment. There would be no dispute when Jesus gave this answer. In fact, in the Old Testament reading, this reading actually continues, after you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Take to heart these words with which I enjoin on you today. Drill them into your children, it continues. Say them whether you are at home or abroad, whether you are busy or at rest. And these words ought to be contained on your eyelids, on your hand, at your gate, and in every doorway. And the Jews actually took this literally. If you go to Jerusalem, even now, if you look at the doorposts, There's a small capsule on the side of every door and every gate that has a little scroll with the Shema written on it and placed literally in the doorway and in the gateway. So this rule is extremely important to Jews and Christians alike. But it's interesting the way that St. Mark takes this Shema as opposed to the Jews who had clearly taken literally inscribing the Shema on all these various places, our gospel has a more interiorization of this law. This law that the Jews had externally placed everywhere in their community was then brought more in to the heart, the mind, the soul, with all one's strength. In the contrast, we see when the scribe answers, he says, this is worth more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Far from the Jewish religion, which was very external, was very religious in external observance of sacrifice and offerings, rather the scribe says, this interior love of God is much more important than all these exterior sacrifices. So today, I want to talk about holiness, and I want I want to bring up two stories that illustrate this question of holiness, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and a good examination of conscience. So the first story is near and dear to my heart. This is bound up with my own call to the priesthood. When I was very young, seven or eight years old, I remember thinking, I don't know why this thought happened. It was a grace of God. I remember thinking If God is truly the most important thing in the universe, then shouldn't the amount of time I spend with him reflect that? If God is the most important thing in the universe, then shouldn't the amount of time I spend with him reflect that? And it tortured me for a little bit because I was thinking, well, I spend hours with my family. I do seven hours of school every day. There's no way I'm supposed to spend more than seven hours with God. I could recall certain friends that I'd spend four hours at their houses just, whatever, playing video games, not the best use of my time, I understand. But nonetheless, I remember spending a lot of time with a lot of people, and I I thought, an hour of Mass? That's a long time. But seven hours? That's a really long time. But this question, I put it to rest. I said, God couldn't possibly mean that. He knows how much work I have in school and all these other things. So he couldn't possibly mean that I'd spend more time with him than 
school or friends or family. The second story is this. It was told by an old Monsignor, a rector, uh, over at my seminary, and it was a story about him and his friend Theodore. Now, unfortunately, Theodore and my rector, who's this wise Monsignor, they would often be provoked with one another and get into fights. And Theodore was smaller, so of course, the guy who retaliates, the bigger guy, whether he started it or not, he's the one who gets in trouble. So he's constantly brought in after school by sister, and he'd be writing on the board, I will not hit Theodore. And he had to write that hundreds of times. But one day, this young man, probably 12 years old at the time, he just blurts out, Sister, why am I so stupid? She goes, what, what do you mean? Why are you so, so stupid? You're not stupid at all. You're one of the smartest in the class. And he says, but over and over again, I always get in trouble for hitting Theodore, and yet I continue to write here. I continue to hit him, and I continue to have to write, I will not hit Theodore. Why am I so stupid? And the sister said, no, you're, you're not stupid at all. Here's what's going on. Do you love God? And he says, yes. Then the sister said, well, not enough. When you love God more than you love hitting Theodore, then you will stop. When you love God more than you love hitting Theodore, you will stop. So for our examination of our own conscience, we can think of our favorite sin, the sin that we may do incessantly, perpetually, and be frustrated by in our confessions. And when we think of that sin, we can see a great way in which we can grow in the love of God, because we're not yet brought to perfection. But the question still is present to us. Think of that sin that is repeated. When we love God more than that repeated sin, the favorite sin that we go to, then we will stop sinning. Now, it's way more complicated than that, right? Because generally, most people, 99% of the time, they won't commit that sin. But it's in that 1% of time of weakness when our love is most tried and we're under greatest stress and it's most difficult. It's that 1% of the time in which the sin occurs. But it just shows this interiorization of this law this love of God in all circumstances, that we allow that love to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our souls so that even that 1% is completely transformed by God's love. The mystery, the solution to these two stories of if God is the most important thing in the universe, then shouldn't the amount of time I spend with him reflect that? In the story of when I love God more than my favorite sin my favorite sin will stop. The solution to this is actually posed by Jesus himself in seeming a side comment at the very end of our gospel. This is what Jesus says. When Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. At first listen, we hear this and we think, okay, so the scribe is pretty close. He understands where Jesus is going. So his heart must be close to understanding what the kingdom of God is. But it's more interesting than that. 
Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the kingdom of God itself. So the irony is he is indeed close to the kingdom of God. He's like six feet away. That's the mystery. And because of the new covenant, where the law of God is written in our hearts, because we have the grace of baptism, because we have the grace of the sacrament of the Eucharist, that's the interiorization of the law. This kingdom of God personified, kingdom of God incarnate himself, Jesus Christ, abides within our hearts and our minds and our souls. That's the, the solution. That's how we're able to pray without ceasing, by having this constant awareness of the presence of God within us. And when we allow that awareness to penetrate all the moments of our life, even while we're at work or at rest, whether we are away or at home, when those moments are penetrated by our understanding of God's presence within us, his love within us, then that's when sin ceases. That's the solution to these two quandaries. We are able to pray without ceasing, even in the midst of work and play and being with family. And we are able to love God more than our favorite sin. But it's when this, the kingdom of God, who is Jesus Christ himself, when the kingdom of God is within you, that's the moment when these two things are fulfilled. I want to end with this, a proposal for you and your families. I was with a gathering of families last night, and we had an incredible discussion tackling one question. The question was, when did you first realize you were called to be a saint? When did you first realize you were called to be a saint? With All Saints Day quickly approaching, it's worth bringing up with your families, discussing among yourselves, when this realization first hit you. And the stories we had last night were just amazing. I, I loved them. They were incredible. So I think all of us have a story about that moment when we realize we are called for something more and even holiness and sainthood itself. And that also is bound up with this Shema, with the greatest commandment. At the end of the day, the greatest commandment does compel us to acknowledge we are called to be saints. If we are all called to love God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, then we are called to be saints. It's as simple as that. So on a pra practical note, excuse me, practical note, in order to figure out how to bring this about, how to live the Shema, how to live this presence of God within us, ask this question to one another. When was the first moment when I realized I was called to be a saint?